0: Welcome to The Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of The Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Before we introduce this week's guest, I want to give a shout-out to our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a great way to support everything Cool Tools does, including our newsletters, podcast, video channel, and our review website. This week, we want to give a shout-out to Sarah T. Willis, Jamie Ehrman, and Brian Brooks. To become a patron of Cool Tools yourself, visit patreon.com slash cooltools. Our guest this week is Jeff Yang. Jeff is a cultural critic, author, and futures thinker whose latest book, Rise, a pop history of Asian America from the 90s to now, will come out from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in January 2021. He also co-hosts the podcast, They Call Us Bruce. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I am great. I'm a little sweaty, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is the era uh, for uh, us. Get us. Yeah, what, what's the uh, weather there in, in Manhattan?
1: Uh, it is uh, it is one of the fifteen seasons of Manhattan. I think this is uh, the season of hu- humidity and uh, inch thick perspiration. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, it's it's all good. Uh, I'm actually doing this podcast outdoors because I I literally bolted from the subway uh, in order to achieve you know access to wireless signal and. And tune into this. So
2: I love well, it. It yeah, sounds we're, great. We're so we're so delighted you can join us, sweaty or not. Uh, <laughs> we're looking forward to um, some cool stuff to share with our listeners. Uh, looking forward to sharing it. Yeah. So you've got some amazing
0: tools lined up to tell us about. Why don't you tell us about the first one, Authory? Yeah. yeah. So uh, my tools collectively really speak to the way that
1: I would say both my life and i think the lives of a lot of other people have evolved over time it's really kind of needing to assemble a persona and a platform on demand uh, all the time from a fragmented series of different sites and locations uh forms of connectivity et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. so authory uh is a site that actually i discovered when it was still in beta and I signed up for it because it sounded almost too good to be true. And it kind of has been good enough to be true, which is <laughs> well, all that we're ever looking for. Uh, so, Author is a site that automatically aggregates all the articles on your byline, all the articles you've published, mm-hmm. all the platforms that you contribute to. And it doesn't just gather them as links, it actually uh, pulls together legible text you know, formatted versions of those articles, even when they're behind firewalls. And it makes them available mm. for you to make available either, again, on demand to individuals or making them even public for other people to, to read. Uh, really kind of stunning because I, I tried other kinds of, of, you know, sort of aggregators of my content, my, my personal stream of content, if you will, in various places. And that firewall thing has been one of the hardest things to really resolve. And this, this kind of works. I'm, I'm really quite happy with it
2: and 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 um I assume the um the host of the material that is firedwall is okay with it appearing on authory I have to assume so i mean
1: we it's a it's a subscription service, so you do
2: pay for it,
1: and I assume that they have some kind of licensing relationship with the underlying entities where they're transmitting uh value because uh otherwise it would be hard to imagine i i I know that there are ways to end run firewalls you know. Of which we will not speak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm also assuming that because this is a commercial platform that works with journalists, uh, and as a result, has to keep its nose clean. I think with their employers that that this is uh, that this is a fully legit operation. And uh, you know, again, it keeps on evolving. They add additional uh, publications and platforms. Uh, again, so far it's been mostly stumble free. The, the only thing I actually have I've found is. Uh, It is still essentially using your name and and some sense of the kinds of things you cover to try to identify articles that are yours. And uh, Yang and Jeff are both not uncommon names these days, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there there are rather more false positives uh, than, you know, more than zero false positives. I see. No false negatives from what I've seen. Yeah.
2: And so... Oh, the idea is that this does it automatically. It's not that you are telling it to. It's actually just scraping the web and doing it for you. Exactly. You just, you uh, you okay. add the
1: platforms that you're contributing to, uh, and then it actually just looks at those those platforms. And every time your byline comes up, it, okay.
2: it snags and, and adds it to your list. Oh, that's, that's okay. That's really convenient. And what does it I- go beyond? The, so
0: let's say you have like, you know, New York Times, Wired. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Will it look beyond those URLs too? Or is it just the ones you, they, the domains you give it? It looks like it actually uh, looks at stuff that I haven't specifically uh, rostered
1: for it, mm-hmm. but it definitely will will keep an sort of a, a closer eye on the ones that I've designated as places that you know, occasionally help feed me. <laughs> yeah, and where do they charge? Uh, you know, I don't even remember, but it's it's not. I will pull it up right now and, and confirm. But it's not eight that dollars a month. Yeah, eight dollars a month. It's okay. you know. You can you can give up one of the twelve streaming platforms that you're subscribed to, and, <laughs> and yeah, do this, exactly.
0: You know? <laughs> I kind of do that with uh, with my software subscriptions. It's like a one in one out, and I just <laughs> canceled my um, Squarespace subscription and picked up a notion.
2: Right. You, 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 you limited to 230, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, 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 so I'm not, I don't want to derail the list of tools you have for us, but Jeff, I do want to come back to great ways to circumvent paywalls.
1: Mm. (laughs) I mean, you know, just, just in the context of being able to get a quick peek, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, most paywalls these days do provide you with limited access, like a certain number of articles per month. And of course, there are ways to, uh, you know, sort of briefly trick those those paywalls uh, to say, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, this is not me who's talking; it's some other me who's talking." And uh, as a result, kind of grab a, a new set of, of free article right. axes. Mm-hmm. But right. again, you can't really share it that way. It's uh, it's just unwieldy to sure you know, to to do that for the piece you've got. But yeah. Right.
2: I I thought one of the genius inventions recently was the New York Times gift um, Mm. uh, uh, mode. I don't know if you know about that, but um, if you are a subscriber to New York Times, you are allowed to gift 10 articles a month and that gift um, does not count on the recipient's tally that they would normally have for for the free um, amount. And you can also gift them uh, you can also gift one publicly, like on mm. you know um, social media, and it, and all those cool. who receive it count. It's pretty too. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's
0: so good. I didn't yes. know that. I subscribed to the New York Times, but I haven't taken advantage
2: of that. Right, right. So there's a little wrapped gift icon somewhere uh, in the top or bottom, and you hit that, and then you are gifted articles, and they don't count against the uh, the normal tally for recipients. Honestly, I think that's something more uh, paywall than subscription-based services should
1: really think about. I Absolutely. Mean, you know, if you could gift uh, an episode of a television show from Hulu or whatever, it's like it, it, it makes a big difference, and it's—it's it's viral transmission. It's—it'll it'll
2: get other people in under the uh, under the curtain, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm mentioning it because I'm hoping other people will Im- imitate it. Other <laughs> uh, other platforms. So, um, what's your Jeff? What's your second um cool tool? So, Descript is a a. Transcription tool that
1: takes audio. It could be conversations, it could be podcast episodes, and it transcribes them into text. And it's kind of a holy grail for those of us who do a lot of audio interviews, or again, who are podcasters, uh, not least because uh, it's just such like a manually time-consuming thing to transcribe uh, transcribe conversations. Like an hour of conversation is like three hours of painstaking transcription in many cases, and. Descript was something I'd been following for a little while. Finally, bit the bullet and decided to to try it. Uh, and it's I, I it was when I got in, it was kind of at the good enough stage. It basically uh, transcribed things well enough that I could just scan through documents, identify quotes I wanted to to drill down into, and then automatically listen to the underlying audio and and kind of just correct them for the purposes of of using those quotes. But it's gotten better over time, and I think now it's actually good enough that I and my podcast co-host Phil Yu are are potentially looking to use it to go back to our hundreds of episodes of our podcast and transcribe them for people who are hearing impaired. We think it's really, obviously, uh, accessibility is a giant and important thing and challenge for us, and this might actually be good enough to do something with. And I, I know it's not the only podcasting uh, sort of the only transcription software out there, uh, but it's certainly one of the first i 've seen that 's really just almost plug and play drag and drop and then you know output text that that is is quite readable you know quite quite close enough to the original conversation uh, to be able to figure out what 's going on and how much does it how much does that cost so there's a free version actually, and that's what I started using but then uh, if you want to go beyond that, dig into. Uh, having unlimited projects and being able to, you know, do things like screen recordings, uh, you know, a, a 10 hours transcription a month, et cetera, it's $12 a month. So, you know, here we are, we're, we're throwing another streaming platform into the ocean and getting this. Uh, but the other thing that's kind of cool about script is that it continues, when, when it does a transcription, it's not just taking the audio, pumping out text, and then kind of leaving you with, with a bunch of, of words. It actually connects the transcription to the underlying video or audio recording. And it allows you to, to in fact, edit using the transcription. So if you, have, if you have a sound bite you want to pull out and move to the beginning, let's say, of a recording, you could just copy and paste that chunk of text, paste it some, you know, copy it and paste it somewhere else, and it moves the audio or video along with it. You can use it to kind of do a very rough edit of stuff, especially if you're uh, trying to figure out you know, kind of a, a narrative flow for something. And I found that to be really, really powerful
2: as well. Oh, so, so, so you're saying that, okay, does the transcription of, say, your, your monologue and mm-hmm. you decide you want to change the order of the sentences, mm-hmm. you could change the order of sentences in the text. Yes. And then that then is reflected by changing the order of, this, of the sound, of the audio.
1: Yes. And, and uh, you know, there are lots of little kind of additional bells and whistles since it sees itself as much as an editing program as, as a transcription tool. Uh, so it'll do things like go back and remove pause syllables, pause words, like um, Oh, oh you can right? take out
2: um, 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 it'll just disappear. Right. And then all of a sudden the podcast is half as long. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and
0: also from what I understand, you could actually like insert a word that you never said and it will put it in there in your voice. You know, I
1: haven't tried that, but that's almost leading into, uh, you know,
0: shallow fakey yeah (laughs) it is and i actually played around with it early on with the beta and it was like really good and i was thinking like this is like yeah you could do like deep fakes of voices and stuff but they apparently have a bunch of like safeguards in there that make it hard and it's really limited you can just do like a couple of words it has to be within the context of the podcast that you're doing but it seemed pretty natural to me
2: yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I hate it when they, <laughs> when they make things worse, just uh, on purpose. Uh, yeah. When, yeah. When they're breaking <laughs> things. But I, you know, I, I guess it'll take some time for us to get used to it. Um, so, so, so th- there's a free version and then there's uh, a premium or there's a, premium there are a couple. And a
1: premium. Yeah. There are like three premium tiers. Uh, the tier I'm on is creator. That's 12 bucks per month. Uh, that gives you, I mean, 10 hours of transcription usually covers me uh, it allows you to do things like timeline export, video export. Uh, so you actually can move your your rough edits into other programs and then use those timelines to to edit it in a in a sharper way. Um, above that, you've got the pro level, uh, which has uh, basically everything in the prior levels, but then for some reason there's a pro attached to it.
0: <laughs>
1: so it's like filler words pro, audiograms pro, publish pro.
2: Of course. <laughs>
0: and
1: then there's an enterprise level which is you know again let's not even worry about that.
2: Yeah that that sounds really great. Um I know there's a bunch of different uh uh transcription services available but that sounds like uh, the idea of integrating it with editing is genius and I think that's really cool and uh I'd like to, I'm going to try it out myself. It's um, uh it was actually founded I I
1: believe by the guy who founded Groupon uh and I like hmm. to think that it's it's kind of his uh his act of redemption. <laughs> <laughs> Making amends <Yeah. laughs> uh, um, for all, all the useless <laughs> crap that's been injected into the world because of GroupOn.
2: But yeah. And um, so you have you have another audio-related uh, tool too to tell us about.
1: Yeah. So uh, Audacity is my uh, it's my go-to editing audio editing program, and it's also kind of my example of. Open source can be awesome, right? I mean, there are a lot of great open source programs out there. Uh, A lot of them require a little bit more lift in terms of learning curve and interface. And, you know, it's not like Audacity is perfect, but literally I picked it up and was using it and using it in fairly complex fashion, you know, with a bunch of the the plugins they have, a bunch of the the audio cleanup and manipulation uh, effects that they have built in it's it's actually to me more convenient and um more intuitive in a lot of ways than uh you know garageband or, or other uh tools that i, I know that
2: friends of mine use yeah i'm i i i have been using audacity for my editing tools it's it's a it's a uh i would say a venerable um one been around a while um and i think um for open source it's really really great Yeah, I agree. I mean, the only thing I can
0: compare that says, well, there's probably a few, so it's unfair, but I have started using Blender, that 3D animation and modeling. For audio? No, just for animation. I mean, just comparing like great open source source. platforms. It's amazing. And uh, it compares, I think, with the way that Audacity is such a useful, full-featured tool that allows you to add things onto it. The only thing does it still force you to like download the MP3 plugin from the Fraunhofer Institute or something like that because they're afraid of like some kind of. (laughs) Yeah. At least the the last when I first installed it, I had to do that, and I I felt like
1: you know that almost felt like the jagged edge of uh of of where we sit in terms of uh, the the you know expanding crisis of intellectual property, right? Yeah. Uh, but the very fact that you, you can uh, you can actually get the tool, but bundling the tool is the thing that actually is the limitation. It just makes my my brain explode a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know.
0: it's true. Well, cool. So yeah, um, so do you actually edit your own uh, podcast? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I will say that uh, I do. Well, I do it much less than than Phil, you, uh, mm-hmm. my my podcast co host. Uh, but I, when I do do it, I do it on Audacity, and uh, I, you know, you can kind of tell that we're sort of, we self-edit. We don't have like a dedicated professional doing it because ours is is probably uh, a little raw in feel and sound than mm-hmm. uh-huh. many podcasts. Um, also, partially because we're often recording like this, right, sitting in in you know McDonald's or outdoor atria or when our kids are screaming in the background and stuff like that. Uh, but uh but we we've tried to make that actually part of the so- the sonic ambiance
0: <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> do, do you have like one basic uh like trick for how you uh use it like do you do you apply compression to it or leveling or is there anything that's like is it like a a kind of cure all for for your recordings
1: i um i will say that uh yeah, definitely. Compressor is an important thing, just because levels can can sometimes be all over the place, especially when you're recording remotely, right? Uh, yeah, and, you know, you'll you'll see that. I mean, on on a platform like this, where we're all kind of capturing local audio, the the levels are going to be very, very different. And uh, there actually is a pretty good noise reduction effect in mm-hmm. Audacity. It's always dangerous because when you overdo it, it it's sort of like hitting uh an image with too much saturate you know sort of saturation tool and stuff like that yeah too many many, uh instagram filters whatever
0: Uh, yeah
1: (laughs) but it's it's not bad for just kind of capturing a little little sample and then removing say a persistent you know low hum or (laughs) or, baseline buzz or something uh if, if you need to
0: yeah like a 60 hertz Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's 60 Hertz. Yes. yes,
0: exactly. I'll get you every time. <laughs> okay. So, so moving out of the world of software, we've got one that uh, is your final pick and sounds pretty cool. Tell us about it.
1: So especially in this time of quarantine, right? Uh, gyms are all closed. Lots of public places were shut down. The, the one thing that was kind of a saving grace is yeah, even living in Los Angeles, uh, where, in general, moving... Any kind of transportation that doesn't involve at least four wheels is verboten, <laughs> right? Uh, it, bicycling came back into my life. And I'd always biked when I lived in New York. Uh, I biked for sport, but I didn't really bike for transportation in Los Angeles. It was just much less efficient. And with fewer cars on the road and you know, more need to do things like... Um, you know, a run to the market, et cetera, um, I, I pulled, you know, my, my uh, Brompton M3L bike out of, uh, not quite storage. I mean, I, I, again, would take it down to the beach and bike every so often, but it became like my go-to, my real go-to in terms of just uh, point-to-point transport. Uh, and for those of you guys who are not familiar with the Brompton, it's a folding bike uh, and it's a folding bike with, I think, the cleverest and certainly the most compact fold of any bike that actually rides like a bike, it basically uh, collapses almost like um, like in Z-formation or something. It bends in the middle, and then uh, the, the back wheel flips under, and the front wheel kind of clips to the back wheel. So you end up with a package, once you've put the handlebars down on top of the front wheel, that is almost the size of a wheel. It's, it's Wow. Yeah. And, and, and those wheels are small wheels, too. Slightly small, but they're about, they're a little bit, you know, basically about the size of like, um, well, a little smaller than like a BMX bike, but, uh, the way the chain works, it gives you enough leverage that it it really does feel quite a bit like biking a regular bike. Uh, and I've, I've had a lot of folding bikes over time and a a number of Bromptons. I've had three Bromptons, uh, you know, probably a dozen other folding bikes of various types. The Brompton has, has never been surpassed in terms of just sheer convenience and mobility on demand. Uh, I, I'm a kind of a nerd when it comes to last mile type stuff. I, I did a, a South by Southwest panel on it. And, uh, to me, the whole notion of a backpack bike or, you know, uh, something which, uh, allows you to get onto public transportation, get off and then do your, you know, your mile and a half or whatever to your final destination has always seemed to me for able-bodied people like the Holy Grail, and yeah, the, the Bromptons again. I've never seen anything come quite as close to the Brompton for that purpose.
2: And, and the Brompton makes a bunch of different models. I mean, first of all, it's another venerable uh, item, been around many, many years, and they make a bunch of different models. Do you have a particular model that you recommend?
1: Well, the one I have is an M3L, uh, so it's like
2: M3L.
1: A, yeah, it's a three-speed. It's got the uh, the kind of traditional. Uh, Y-shaped handlebars, uh, so you're you're kind of riding fa- fairly erect, right? Uh, and uh, it's it's a really nice, um, you know, sort of street bike for urban transport. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't kind of I wouldn't do triathlons with it or anything like that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't do triathlons. Right. <laughs> uh, <Great. laughs> but but for for the purposes I, I need it, you know, uh, like riding from borough to borough in New York City, for instance, or uh, or Or getting down to the beach from from where I live on the west side in Los Angeles, it has been kind of perfect
2: so so I know they make uh, two gear versions or six gear versions um, and you said three is that because you think it's sufficient, or is there a cost difference or what why three uh, three um, gears versus say two or six
1: i would, well, i mean I think for me this was just a, a matter of uh I bought it used and I've I've actually bought all my bronze used every time. In fact, I've seen a, uh, a used one pop up in, uh, in my various, you know, like Craigslist slash, uh, other kinds of, of used good feeds. I will actually price it. And if it's worth it, I will just buy that sucker because these things are expensive. They are imported and, uh, just, you know, finding one in good condition, uh, they last a long time, but finding one in good condition and getting it for a reasonable price is kind of a godsend and uh, th- It just happened to be that this was the one that that okay. uh, most recently was available but i do i mean you know look i I love ten speed eight speed other kinds of you know more gradation if you 're somewhere hilly, especially, but most of the biking uh, most of the cycling i 've done has been on fairly you know reasonable grades and uh My life tends to sort of fall neatly into, you know, three way SML type, you know, small, medium, large type things or, or,
2: you know, good, better, best type things. So, uh, three speed is good enough for me. So, um, uh, yeah, Broughton seems to be sold out of most of their stock. And, Mm. um, it seems as if, um, the cheapest new was, is in a thousand dollars and maybe between thousand and two thousand dollars for the basic uh versions. So that's if, if you buy new.
1: If you if you see a used Brompton and it's basically under twelve hundred dollars uh and, and a, you know of clean clean recent vintage and so forth, you're getting a bargain. So mm. that's part of the reason I keep my eyes peeled.
0: It's
1: amazing. Yeah. I wonder why there's a run on them all of a sudden. <laughs> the, the, world, the world is, is – uh, the arc of the world is bending towards things
2: like the Brompton. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, seems yeah. like it. And so you have uh, – so once it's up unfolded, um, how much does it weigh? What, what, what's uh, – if you have to pick it up and carry it onto the train or the subway or wherever you're going, onto a bus, how, how much does it weigh?
1: It, I'd say like 25 maybe okay. Uh,
2: pounds. Okay. Um, I'm really bad at like translating from kilograms. <laughs> well, how many kilograms uh, is it?
1: Uh, you know, I, I'd have to look it up, but okay. I I believe that uh, heft-wise, it's not too much more than I mean, I, I carry a backpack which feels like it weighs not much, you know, less than the, the bike itself, and, and and that's to me actually the end goal, right? I mean, I feel like somewhere along the way, somebody might create like a true backpack bike that is more effective and and, uh, efficient and
0: well-designed than the Brompton. But I haven't seen it yet. And until then, that's this. I I have to say I'm looking at AliExpress right now, and they have a Mida 14-inch folding bicycle that looks a lot like a Brompton for (laughs) (laughs)
2: $47.49. I think you should buy it, Mark, just as the cheapest folding bike on Alibaba. I am buying And then we can write a review.
0: Yeah. Oh, wait get this shipping 232 dollars. <laughs> 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 oh boy still, still a bargain I, yes. I, I will say i've
1: actually bought bikes uh via, and other things via Ali, alibaba and uh they ship they also don't ensure shipping and getting parts for anything you buy is almost impossible it's it's you know there's definitely a you know there's the site wish right yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and uh it, it kind of offers the same sort of like really uh, low prices for Shanzhai type goods from china directly and like alibaba is basically you wish <laughs> you know
0: it, what, whatever you dream of you can ask for it but yeah. you know. <laughs> that's great i love Roll it rolling the <laughs> dice it totally is. Okay.
2: well this is really great jeff why don't you tell us about um your your new book
0: Yeah, so obviously
1: during quarantine, lots of people were talking about how it was just sort of prime time to do the project you've always wanted to do, right, Uh, to to get out there and write your King Lear or whatever. And uh, while I'm not going to quite compare this to Shakespeare, this is definitely a passion project that I and my two uh, co-writers, Phil Yu, uh, my podcast co-host and longtime friend, and Philip Wong, another old friend of ours who does the uh, YouTube, he's one of the co-founders of the YouTube uh, platform, YouTube channel, uh, Wang Fu Productions. Uh, The three of us were just, you know, talking over Zoom and uh, noting that, uh, this is fairly early on in the quarantine, the world was really shifting. We'd kind of gone from this moment where we were exulting over all the different ways that Asian American voices and and, creators were being uplifted, Uh, Crazy rich Asians is still very much on our minds. And then coronavirus happened and Trump happened worse. And, you know, here we were with people getting beaten in the streets and Asian-Americans being called uh, plague dogs and the like. And it it really uh, felt a a little scary. Like all the advances we might have made over not just the past couple of years, but decades were being... uh, suddenly, if not erased, then then, um, put in deep freeze. And we didn't know what was going to come next. And, you know, kind of combining that with the fact that a number of people who uh, were mentors of ours, people who, uh, you know, maybe were a slightly older generation, were actually starting to pass away. We realized how temporary, in many ways, the remembrance of history can be. And especially if... All these achievements we've done uh, as a community, as a culture, were going to be, you know, stymied, uh, put on some kind of hold. If there was a need to rebuild and to to relaunch and re-spark what we'd started, we, felt, we figured we needed some kind of blueprint. And uh, that led us to come up with this idea for Rise. Uh, Rises is, is, it's a pop history of the last 30 years of Asian America. Uh, It actually happens to cover three decades in which I, Phil, and Philip each kind of consecutively came of age, Uh, me, the 1990s, uh, Phil Yu, the 2000s, and and Phil Huang, the 2010s. And uh, we also covered three different types of of kind of creative expression expression platform. It sounds quaint now, but uh, I founded one of the first Asian-American magazines in the first flush of the era of desktop publishing. And then uh, Phil created Angry Asian Man, which is, even to this day, uh, perhaps the best-read Asian-American news and culture blog. And then Phil Wong was one of the pioneers of Asian-Americans on YouTube. So through those three lenses and with all the different connections we have individually and collectively, you know, we just did tons and tons of interviews, roped in tons of collaborators of a wide array of different backgrounds. And, uh, and heritages and identities and we put together this 500 like, page document of these last 30 years and uh, it was exciting to do and in some ways probably a project we could never have done except for the fact that we weren't the only ones just sitting around on Zoom in the evenings. <laughs> you know? we, we actually found it remarkably easier to connect with a bunch of people who were probably too busy otherwise. Uh, simply because all of us were, were being stuck at home.
2: Well, so, so for our readers, that is RISE, R-I-S-E, RISE, A Pop History of Asian America from the 90s till now. And that's that'll be coming out in January of next year. Is that right? Yep. yep. And um, we'll have links to that if that's on Amazon pre-sale, which I assume it was. So um, are we really – Really, really appreciate, Jeff, your suggestions, which are really cool. Um, I'm going to immediately go go and try out um, the script. And um, thanks for the other suggestions and the uh, um, uh, lesson on audio stuff, which we are always eager to hear. So we really appreciate your joining us. Thank you so much,
1: Kevin.
0: This has been a, a
1: real joy. Uh, anytime you need anything, guys, let me know.
0: Hey everybody, it's Mark from the Cool Tools Podcast. I want to thank you for being a listener to Cool Tools, and I also would like to let you know about our Patreon page. If you would like to support the Cool Tools show, as well as our video channel, the website, and all the newsletters that we do, you can go to patreon.com slash cool tools, that's just one word, cool tools, and pledge any amount you want. You could even pledge a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. We have editors, we pay for transcribing costs, we pay our reviewers. Every bit of money that you contribute goes towards supporting the show. I'd like to give a shout out to our supporters of the Cool Tools podcast. This week, I'd like to thank the following Patreon supporters. Bill Schuler, Bob Kay, Ryan Pelly, Carl D. Patterson, Chad Cosby, Chris Wieland, Chris Weirstook, Craig Tooker, Dan O'Brien, Dean Putney, Danelle Cunningham, Evan Barker, Graham Medlin, Hans Reesbeck, Helen Hegedus, Jerry Kearns, Jim Lesko, Jim Spofford, John Pollock, John Burdenbau, Keith O, Ken Altman, Les Howard, Lauren Bast, Mock Nerd, Malton Make, Mark Gobel, Matt Gromes, Michael Douglas, Michael Jones, and Michael Pecorini. Thanks to all of you for supporting The Cool Tools Show. We really appreciate it.